0: Good morning, everybody. Sure is good to see everyone this morning. Whether you're joining us here in the room or you're with us online, it is just really good to be together. Amen. Uh, Back when I was, I'm guessing, around 18 or 19 years old, I remember this day that I was on my back on our concrete driveway underneath my truck uh, trying to take off a muffler that clearly needed replaced. Right, So uh, I'm under there and there uh, were a couple things that I didn't know about that situation. First, I didn't realize how rusted through one end of the pipe tailpipe was. And I also didn't realize how heavy mufflers can get when they come landing on your thumb, because that's what happened. I was under there and kind of had one hand here and I'm working on this end to loosen the bracket. But what I didn't realize was just how fragile things were on this end. And that thing came down on my thumb on that concrete and it hurt. It was painful uh, my thumb swelled up began to turn blue my thumbnail immediately throbbing uh, dark with blood underneath it and and uh, at first i thought oh, i'll just kind of suffer through this and it'll it'll get better it did not get better and so uh, i realized i needed to go into town and find a doctor or someone who could deal with that and so i did and and i'm thinking to myself how are they going to fix this how does how does that even work Uh, What are they going to do to make this uh, feel better? And if you've ever experienced this, you probably know what they did. But I was surprised. They just drilled a hole in my thumbnail. And then all the pressure was released and everything uh, was fine. And I'm happy to say not only did they save my thumbnail, but they salvaged my early career as a hand model. So (laughs) it it was a really great story all around. That's how I paid for college and seminary and why I get to be here today. No, that's not true. That last part's not true. Everything else before that was though. Uh, what we are going to talk about this morning is healing. Jesus as healer and the idea that we don't always know how our healing's going to come or maybe more broadly recognize that healing comes in many forms. And so that's what we're going to explore this morning. This is one of my favorite things to think about when I think about Jesus. It's, to, it's considering how and how much He is still healing people today and every day. That Jesus is a healer. Amen? Now, in the original language of the New Testament, that's Greek, uh, the word that we translate into English as healed or healing or heal, uh, there are more than one, there's more than one word in that language that we just turn into our verb, Heal. And uh, here are the three main ones. There's one uh, called iaomai, and that means to free someone from error or sin to make them whole and, of course, to heal or to cure. All of these are facets of this idea of healing. We can easily see our English word therapy in this second one, and that is to serve someone in order to restore them to health. And then there's a third called sozo, and that means to save someone from suffering or to rescue them, to keep them healed. And so there's a healing of, uh, in that way as well. All this to say that what we call healing, the Bible has multifacets to that, multiple facets to that. And so we're going to dive into this idea just in our brief few minutes together that healing comes in many forms. Now, last week, we looked at Matthew chapter 7 and Jesus' teaching on the idea that our lives are like houses, and we build them either on rock or uh, shifting sand, right? And that to build our houses on rock is to obey his teaching. Right after that, in Matthew 8 and 9, Matthew launches into a series of stories, most of them having to do with Jesus' healing People. And so it's from there that we're going to just keep on moving and jump right in. I would encourage you, if you have your Bible, to open it to Matthew 8 and then to 9, or open your Bible app, or jot that down, and when you get home, uh, spend a little time looking at Matthew 8 and 9. You're going to see that Jesus is just on a blitz of healing. Matthew 8, he heals a man with leprosy. You might remember this. The guy says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus says, I am willing. And immediately The man was healed of his skin disease. Then a famous story of healing. A Roman centurion comes to Jesus. Uh, Not a a Jewish person, not an especially religious person. A Roman centurion, in other words, a high-ranking official in the army of the enemy, comes to Jesus and says, I've got a servant back home who's lying paralyzed um, I don't deserve you to have, to have you come to my house, but I know, Jesus, that if you just say the word, my servant will be healed. This amazed Jesus, this guy's great faith. He did say the word. The servant was healed. Peter, uh, Peter's mother-in-law is sick in bed with a fever. Jesus heals her. Then it says that when evening came of that day, with a word he healed all the sick. Jesus encounters then what the Bible describes as two violent, demon-possessed men. And he commands the spirits out of them. Pigs get involved. It's quite a mess. But the two men are restored to health and sanity. Healing, 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 healing. Matthew is piecing together, putting together a whole litany of healing stories. And then, before he gets to more of what we might traditionally call healing stories, he adds some extras in here that really illuminate for us what healing can fully mean. So we're going to look at four aspects of healing that we see in the next verses as we move into Matthew 9, but I want to give them context because Matthew is telling a series of healing stories. Healing comes in a lot of forms. Matthew 9 verse 1 is where we'll begin and slow down now and take a look this morning. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came into his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man uh, lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. And here we encounter the first and most foundational form of healing. And that's grace to forgive our sins. In this story, the friends have brought their paralyzed buddy on a mat to Jesus. It's obvious what they're looking for, right? He's paralyzed. They would love it if Jesus would do his thing and heal him. And so far in the story, Jesus is providing nothing the man is asking for, but everything he needs. And so it is with us. Because the most important thing we need is to be right before God. There are many times... Uh, that uh, in our lives that we will end up working and worrying very much over any number of things that we want to get right. It could be our self-image, financial st- stability, career success, satisfying relationships, personal expression, physical health, you name it. None of those are unimportant, but none of them are most important. And Jesus is never confused about what's most important or most essential. And that is our relationship with God. That among all the things that we need in life, Jesus knows the first thing we need. Even if we're a paralyzed guy lying on a mat, the first thing we need addressed is our relationship with God. And Jesus feels this way. Not because he's religious, but because he's right. See, Jesus always has the firmest grip on reality of anyone in the room. And that's what Jesus chooses to address here first with this man. Take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. God loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you. That's his first word to this man. N.T. Wright writes about this in his book, Simply Jesus. And he says, Jesus spoke frequently of people being forgiven. Forgiveness, indeed, is a sort of healing It removes a burden. Catch this. I love this. It removes a burden that can crush and cripple you. It allows you to stand up straight. That's the first healing that Jesus brings. Now, no one can blame this guy, right, for wanting to be healed of his paralysis. His friends are hoping that Jesus would do that, and he was too. And Jesus certainly doesn't blame him for wanting that. But first things first, Jesus says to him. And to us, let's address your life before God. Let's address what's going on in your soul. See, Jesus has the power to give us anything we want, but He knows that's rarely useful and rarely deep enough. He has the love and the wisdom to give us everything we need. Verse three: At some of this, or at this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, "This fellow is blaspheming." That means he is uh, speaking truth about, uh, he's speaking about God in things in ways that are untrue, speaking falsehoods about God. Now, as usual, uh, these teachers of the law were half right and thus all wrong, missing the point. It would be wrong for any of us to declare someone uh, forgiven as if we were God. But the fact is, Jesus is God. So he can say what he's saying, and it's not blasphemy. Knowing their thoughts, it says, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? In Mark 2, when we read the same account, it's, Jesus says, Why are you thinking these things? Now that is a question, isn't it? I wonder how many times in a week Jesus wants to ask me, Rob, why are you thinking these things? Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your heart? Anyone have an evil thought passed through their mind this week? Or is it, is it just me? Jesus knows. And he asks, why are you thinking these things? What are these thoughts doing there? Because he wants us to examine that. See, there's nothing in your life or mine that didn't begin as a thought, right? Either ours or someone else's. And so Jesus is like, stop right there. Why are you thinking these things? It's a good thing to ponder. The question is followed by another, which is easier to say, Jesus kind of revs up and is now maybe addressing uh, more of his listeners, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. You get the feeling now Jesus is ready to go toe to toe here. It's like, oh, you're upset that I've said this guy's sins are forgiven, that you've got that wrapped around your axle. You've got a problem with that. Check this out. Which is easier to say, that or to say to this man who's paralyzed before us all, get up and walk? Jesus is saying, let me redefine for you what's possible. Because just as you can't imagine me forgiving sins, you can't imagine a paralyzed man suddenly getting up and walking away. And I'm going to show you that I'm able to do both. And believe me, friends, he is able to do both. He is able to take my brokenness and my sin, the part of me that is selfish and bent uh, and that wants to do life away from God. He is able to receive that and forgive it and begin working then to straighten me out. He sees my wounds. He sees my paralysis. He sees my injuries. He sees all the ways that I'm weak and he begins to give me strength. He's able to do both. Jesus says, I want you to know that the Son of Man, that's Him, has authority on earth to forgive sins. So He says to the paralyzed, man, get up, take your mat, and go home. The man does so. And the crowd sees this. They are filled with awe. They praise God because God had given such authority to human beings. Jesus is saying here, I bring the whole package. If you need healed, I'm here for that. In all, healing in all its forms. There is no part of you. I'm not able to make whole. Some of us need to receive that today. There is no part of us that Jesus is not aware of and that he's unable to heal and to make whole. Now, Jesus says, I start with what's most essential, our soul. Son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus knows what we need, sometimes and often better than we do. But then he moves now to healing his physical body. Wounds made well, injuries made whole. He gives us strength. And here's what I found to be true about Jesus as healer and us as the ones who need healing. As I get the privilege of sitting down with so many of you over the years and watching how God works in your lives, I have certainly noticed a pattern that when you and I identify our wounds, where have I been injured? What traumas have come to me in life? From childhood on, you name it, in the chapters that, is, that are my story, where have I been wounded and injured and traumatized? What have I endured? And what scars or even open wounds still exist in me, mentally, emotionally? Because all those touch on us spiritually. It's that second type of healing that often we need that we translate in as therapy, Today, the idea that mental health, that emotional stability is absolutely essential to our human flourishing. And that's what Jesus is here to provide us. Healing, wholeness, human flourishing. And that when we begin to identify the drivers behind our bad decisions, right? Which are many times the wounds that we are still dealing with. These things aren't excuses for our behavior, they're reasons, and there's a huge difference between an excuse and a reason. And so often we as Christians, we we kind of have this reputation of being about stop that we should stop sinning, right? We're all about not sinning. And that's not a bad thing to be all about because sin is corrosive to our soul, it damages our relationships and in fact really ruins our lives. It's it's a great it's a great thing to partner with Jesus to stop sinning. But often what needs to happen for that stopping to happen is a healing of the root cause of that sin, which many times is a, a, a trauma or a wound or something that we did not process or that we've, we've got a lie stuck in our brain or we've got a hurt that we've never really uh, worked through. And, and then it's making us make some terrible decisions in how we treat others, or treat ourselves, or self-medicate, or on and on. That, too, I've seen, is a way that Jesus heals. As you have brothers or sisters in, in, in the church family, as you sit with your pastors, as you get good, biblically-based counseling, all of those things are ways that Jesus heals us. They all count as healing. Healing. See, healing creates the overcoming that we need. Healing, Jesus will put our legs back underneath us when we submit our wounds to him and get the healing that we really can't afford to go on living without. So that's the second type of healing. But let's go on. Matthew is now turning our attention to something that might seem like he's at first left the healing stories. But really, I don't believe he has. He begins to tell his own story of Jesus finding him. Matthew, the tax collector, sitting at his booth. Jesus says, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. And we pick it up in verse 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house. Okay, so Matthew, a, a Josh talked about this a couple weeks ago in his uh, sermon about Jesus as Savior. Matthew's a tax collector. That means he's a sellout. That means he's hated. That means he, uh, he, is, uh, he is grouped with this unclean group called tax collectors and sinners. Sometimes prostitutes get thrown in there and we, we see them grouped together and ju- they're just a category. They're just a cruel, easy category of sinners that are outside of the, what's acceptable and what's good and what's right. We can all agree and just enjoy hating on them. That's who Matthew was. And Jesus says, follow me. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Let's not underestimate just how crazy cool it is that our Jesus is hanging out with these, these folks. They're all there together because no one else will have them. And they're all at Matthew's house because, again, they've been rejected by everyone else. And so Jesus goes and sits at the table in the cafeteria where no one else will choose to sit. And he hangs out with them. And then these religious leaders come by. They're always seeming to come around and just be total buzzkills, right? The Pharisees see this. And they say to to the disciples, hey, psst, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners. Again, there's this category. They just, they're all grouped together. But Jesus hears this and he says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He is using healing language to describe why he's there and what he's doing. He says to the religious leaders, go and learn what this means. Quoting Hosea in the Old Testament, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And here we are now experiencing a new third category of healing, and that is outcasts being accepted and receiving mercy. That mercy is its own kind of healing. That this acceptance, this love being shown to those who have been cast aside is a special kind of healing. And I believe Matthew was making a point by the Holy Spirit because he's placing this scene his own calling, and then this dinner party at his house with this category of people called sinners. He is placing this scene among this list of healing stories, and he's doing it on purpose because he's thinking, this is when I was healed from what I needed healed from. And Jesus' words couldn't make it more clear. This dinner party is a triage for human souls. He goes, what I'm doing here, you want to know why I'm here? Why I would eat and hang out with these people? Because I'm healing them. Because that's what I do. I'm healing them by accepting and loving them. Isn't that good? What a depth there is to what Jesus is saying here. It's not the healthy who need a doctor. You think you got your stuff all together? Fine. You probably won't turn to Jesus then for any healing because you're not aware that you need any. But these folks, they live every day rejected by you religious leaders. They live every day outside the light of your acceptance and love. You've decided they're not worth your time. And yet here I am right in the middle of them. The one who heals people miraculously. The one whose teaching is spreading and whose reputation is nearly now out of control as people are beginning to realize that I'm the Messiah, the Son of God. And yet I, I have planted myself right at the table with them. While you stand outside questioning and getting it wrong. See, Jesus' heart is to accept, not reject. And that's true for you, not just in theory. But for me and you, his heart is to forgive, not judge. It's what he wants to do most, embrace, not avoid. And this injury of rejection, whether you have faced it sometime in life or you know someone who has, it's crippling, it's debilitating. It hurts a human soul deeply to be rejected by others. And Jesus is moving into that rejection, and He is bringing the healing of acceptance. And I would challenge us let's make this dinner party a portrait of our church. That when we see each other in anyone that God sends our way, the sense that we have is wait a second, did He accept you too? Is He healing you? Me too! Can you believe it? Some days I barely can. That He would love us the way He does. That the church should be known as the place where there are no outcasts. Amen? Amen. There are no outsiders. And we don't categorize people according to their sin. But we categorize them according to how much God loves them, which puts us all in one place big fat category, right? Of people loved by God. So there's a fourth one. Matthew is not finished. He goes on. And we see in this fourth one, a broader, but nonetheless, I think just as meaningful uh, definition of healing happening. We started with our inmost soul, right? Son, your sins are forgiven. And then his physical body is healed. Our wounds are addressed. Thirdly, then our social life, so to speak, begins begins to get healed because we're talking about acceptance and love and not pushing people away or being pushed away. And now Jesus lays out a pretty broad description. Of a a more total healing that we all can participate in. So hang, hang with me on this one. John's disciples, uh, John the Baptist's disciples, they come and they ask Jesus a question about the law. Essentially, why aren't you guys fasting? We fast. The Pharisees fast. You're not all fasting. What's up with that? Jesus gives this great answer about, hey, we're in high times right now. Uh, Who fasts while the 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 bridegroom is, uh, is there. and goes, I'll, I'll be gone one day and there'll be a time for fasting. But right now, man, thing, this is not the time for that. Okay. And then he lays something out here that I think is a great, great principle. He says, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. This is the opposite of healing, right? Making the tear Worse. Now, at the moment, he's, he's certainly addressing the fact that Judaism and the Jewish religion was not going to be sufficient to contain all that Christianity and, his, and faith in this new Messiah was going to be able to, to have. And that's why he, he goes on to talk about wineskins in just a moment. But he, he mentions making the tear worse. This, friends, is what our world is good at and always has been. At times, it can feel as though we're coming apart at the seams. Is that true? And our world without Christ will, in all of its effort, only make the tear worse. And whatever issues we're facing in our society today, the world will make the tear worse in all of its efforts. Jesus goes on Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The opposite of healing the wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine, that's his message and his very person, into new wineskins. That's us, the church, and what? Both are preserved. That's made whole, kept whole. Both are preserved. And so here we see a broader, deeper description of a kind of healing. And that is justice. That is wrongs being set right. Now, when I say the word justice, it's a hip word right now. Everyone likes to talk about justice, but believe me, we had it first. It's been in our vocabulary far longer. God is a God of justice. He calls us to be a people of justice. And biblically speaking, not how anyone else defines it. Biblically speaking, justice is easy to define. It's setting things right. When the Bible talks about justice, it's saying seeing something that's out of place and wrong and working to set it right, much like setting a broken bone. Which is why it's perfectly appropriate to begin to look at justice really as a form of healing. If we can put that in the context of first and always, who is Jesus? Jesus is a healer. Wherever something is broken, he and his people work to set it right right, like a broken bone. That's why we can look at it this way. Justice can be described biblically as doing what we can to move things closer to how God intends them, putting good things in place, setting appropriate boundaries, reinforcing systems that help people thrive. This is what Dr. King was referring to when he talked about the arc of the moral universe being long but bending toward justice. We're a part. The church of Jesus Christ is a part of that bending. In Jesus' words, the church is the new wineskin, made to hold all the world is thirsting for. And so when we talk about addressing injustice, as I like to do at times, as I feel as though the scriptures warrant, how the, and how the church has the best answers for that, hear me when I say this. When I say the word justice or talk about addressing injustice, chances are really, 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 really good that I'm not talking about nearly anything you're seeing on the news or hearing from commentators or pundits. We're talking about the healing that only Jesus Christ can bring. That kind of justice, setting things right. Oh yeah, that justice comes with honesty about problems and wisdom to seek solutions. But if you're looking for it out there, you'll remain as thirsty as ever and frustrated, to say the least. We get to be the people, the the people on the planet who are praying daily, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we are the people aiming for and working toward a world in which no life will be snuffed out underneath a knee, and no rage will express itself through a riot, and no mere politician will pit one Christ follower against another, and no mind will be left so disturbed as to visit violence on many people." See, the world is hungry for justice, and rightly so, to set things right. It's flailing about trying to figure out a way to do so, right? But it's working with wineskins that can't do the job. Ideas and theories and approaches and practices that are insufficient to hold the promise that we as the people of God have discovered is there in our Lord, the promise that can set things right. The church of Jesus Christ is that wineskin and the fabric for change that the world needs. Indeed, the healing the world needs through Jesus as healer. If you keep reading in Matthew 9, you'll see Jesus raising a synagogue leader's daughter from death. You'll see a woman who's been bleeding for years, healed by just touching the hem of his garment. You'll see blind men given sight. You'll see a man who is mute, able to speak. The healing stories then, as we traditionally think of healing, will go on. But planted in the middle are these healing stories too. This way of helping us see that Jesus was and is the loving and powerful God of the universe in the flesh and that he's a healer. Healing radiates from him. And the closer we get to him, the more whole we become. Doesn't that sound good? Thank you, Eric. And if it sounds good to you, whether you're here in the room or you're with us online, you can always go to outlookchurch.org slash yes and say, I want to learn more about that. I'm telling you, the healing I'm talking about, the healing that Jesus brings, at all those levels, is exactly what we human beings need. Healing comes in multiple forms. All of them come only through Jesus. And all of them are for all of us. Let's pray about that. Jesus, we thank you that you are a healer. Lord, we ask, we make a request that we know you're happy to answer. Please heal us. Heal us at all these levels. And God, use us to bring healing to any around us. That's also a beautiful part of what it means to be healed by you. And so, Lord, we submit to you our wounds and our traumas. We certainly confess to you our sins as we take the bread and the cup here in just a moment. We thank you that you've accepted us and not rejected us. And we ask, God, that you would use us to, life on life on life, day by day by day, set things right as we have them before us to set them right in our world. This is our prayer, Lord. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.